Hello everybody and welcome to the third episode of the Undergrads podcast hosted by myself Tom and Mo. Today we are joined by Gordon Reed, aka Middleboot. He's an award-winning creative based in London and his works span graphic design, art direction and illustration. He's also worked for a whole plethora of big name clients including Saatchi and Saatchi, the BBC, Red Bull and Nike. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. So a lot of your work is, you know, very music based. Um, what has been for you, you know, the, the most kind of insightful musical project that you've done with some people? So I know you've done um, quite a few uh, like album covers and whatnot, but what mm. has been out of those? I know a lot of people ask you, what's your most favourite? But which did you learn the most from? Good question. Um, that's Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because uh, I have learned a lot from working in the music industry, uh, a lot about business, a lot about how not to get fucked over. So I put in contact with this woman, she was like a kind of A&R manager kind of woman from Sony about four or five years ago. And I did a couple of projects with her before, none of which went anywhere, really. And it was always that, it's the, it's the classic situation where I feel that art and design are very, and photography as well, are very undervalued in the music industry now. They're undervalued by artists, they're under, undervalued by people who actually represent artists and who work at labels. Um, and this project was a classic example of that. So it's for Newton Faulkner, album cover, uh, three single deal, album cover, promo material, that sort of stuff. So the deal was done. We did the work. I went in and met the band at, at Sony and uh, we went through ideas. The band liked the ideas. The, mm. the woman who commissioned me liked the ideas. And there was never any talk of like it being a pitch or the work not really going anywhere else. And it seemed like the deal was actually locked in. I, I did quite a lot of work on it. And then it, the fee was agreed. The work was agreed and the band had already said they liked it mm-hmm. so it was at a point where it was like okay they bought the idea they bought the style and um, the technique so let's go forth and actually make it let's start getting it into production um, and then they went quiet for a while as music as music clients often can do mm-hmm. and then they came back uh, about two months later maybe and they were like actually we've done something completely different and it's it's out so this was the first time that I really realised how important it was to get a contract in place and to get everything like watertight before you start a project well in fact I, I knew okay. this beforehand but I suppose naively with certain projects I've gone in before, like this one being quite trusting mm. I realised that actually you just can't do that so I got uh, a lawyer I'd done a lot of the work already and the fee had been agreed and they bought the idea. So from my point of view, it had been bought. But because we didn't have that contract in place... They had every right to say, oh, no, we're going to go this way. How how important... So how important do you think it is when, as a designer, especially if you're freelancing and you're not with an agency and you don't have that coverage of insurance of, you know, know, the copyright and, and stuff like that, as well as, you know, doing other work amongst in that copywriting your stuff how important do you think that is especially when you're starting out and you've got a lot of work that you're putting out extremely important yeah mm. you've you've just got to copyright it because I, I think like when you're doing a piece of work these days 
many years ago you would get a buyout for the work as well or usage like two years usage three years usage that bell by the way is uh, my cat <laughs> scratching herself just underneath the table um, and so that would kind of be your extra payment so you get the fee for the artwork for whatever it is or for the ad or you might get really lucky and they want to do a full buyout so your fee would be pretty much tripled right because of the way things have gone, it, it's a lot harder to get those sort of extra fees. Mm. So now it's more important to copyright your work more than ever because you're just losing out. Yeah. And it's always the artist that loses out on these yeah. things. So yeah, copywriting is really important. Getting the contract in place is, yeah. is so important. And it, it's all the stuff that you don't learn at uni. You don't learn, no, no one teaches you yeah, the business course, yeah, side yeah. of things. And I had agents, I've had agents over the years. Uh, especially when my work was more illustrative and that's where I so basically my my kind of idea when I got an agent was to start learning how they dealt with the business side of things so that at some point I didn't have to pay them 30% of Mm. my work yeah and that happened so it's important to be active on these things because people are commissioning work through Behance and through Instagram so especially if you don't have an agent and you, you might not be living in London, then being active on these apps enables you to connect to people all over the world. Um, I think, so yeah, I think it's great. It's really, really good to be active. And I know the people that are most socially active in terms of good work, good quality work that they're posting regularly and they use it, you know, they're posting at the right time and doing all of that stuff they're getting more work from it. Mm. Um, Behance is a bit of a funny one because, I mean, I set mine up in 2009 when it really, you know, they hadn't, Adobe hadn't bought it out and it wasn't really a big thing. Yeah. And I kind of just missed that that first real slot where it just blew up mm. and people started using it. It's really annoying actually. So there's like a lot of friends of mine who are like, got like 200,000 followers on, on fucking Behance and they're getting work all the time and like every piece of work they do gets featured and stuff Um, but I I do still get work from it now and it it is something that is is quite an important tool you need a website right and it's it's great to have a website but people aren't ever going to go I'm going to look at this guy's website they're going to be flicking through Behance or flicking through Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is so you're putting your work in a different spot that might get spotted by however many people that is so I think it's important but I think also because everyone's on social now and everyone's got however many thousands of followers and they're all doing really well also the people that are looking to commission work whether that's a new startup logo or that's an ad for a massive brand um there's got to be a new, a better and more creative way to get those people's attention. Mm. So I think more more so now than ever, it's quite important to, to do things out of the box, like do a printed promo, you know, do a book of your work or, or a poster series or something really interesting that's going to catch people's eye. Because when I started in advertising, it was like eight or nine years ago, you go to the commissioner's desk or the art buyers or the art, and they just have like piles of really cool shit. 
yeah. albums, like like books of photography, and like all sorts of really nicely illustrated little ideas mm. that people would send them because they want work, right? They want to be. They found out this guy's name or this person's name, mm. and they've done it. But then. As the years have gone on, you sort of speak to the same people or different people, and they're like, "Yeah, we don't really get sent stuff anymore." So, I think sending something to a studio that you want to work for is a great way of breaking down a barrier, because you send them an email, they won't reply, right? They might look at your work, but it's just the way it is. You get hundreds, I get hundreds of emails, yeah, and from people all over the world who who want to work with me in some way and I look at them and I do I try and reply to them just feels like a lot of the emails that I'll get um, will be like hi middle boop or hi there and it's like fuck you haven't even bothered to it's exactly the same as the 250 other emails I've got today kind of thing is it yeah well they're not always always that many (laughs) sometimes Um, but yeah it's uh, yeah I think Breaking down the barriers with, with actually sending something physical is, is really, really important. But yeah, like you said, actually meeting someone is the next barrier. So whether that is you send it... I mean, what I used to do was I'd send stuff out and then a few days later I'd, I'd phone them up. And it's quite, a, it's quite a scary thing for like a 21-year-old to find yeah, a director of computer arts or create a review or something like, mm-hmm. did you get my artwork? But people... Yeah, mostly people are really receptive to that I had a over the years I might have had like two people who were just twats um, really kind of not into it but I mean when you when you consider how many phone calls I would have made when I was first starting would you say persistency is the key yeah. To, to to getting out there then I think you've got to be quite ruthless I think you don't have to, I think the best thing would be to just not care what they might say I it's think great it's what just, you just said to though, do it it's just like you, you, you follow it up you send them a physical piece make sure they've seen it or whatever and then you follow it up with the phone call and then follow up with even meeting them and yeah. so on and so forth it's like you're almost disturbing them but like very silent <laughs> you're almost saying look you're not you know I'm going to get to you one way or another yeah. But you're doing it very subtly and you're not making it look like you're desperate or anything, you know. It's, it's, uh... Yeah, there's a real fine art actually to, um, because people want to see passion. If you want to work for, for Nike and their art buying department and, and do a cool campaign, then you've got to show that you're, you're persistent and you really want it. And yeah, you can't really show too much passion really. I, I think it, it's really important that you do. And um yeah, I, th- I think creating a space, going back to your earlier point, creating a space where you could engage with a number of people by saying, putting on an exhibition. It's a fantastic way. I mean, some of the first contacts that I made were at... So when Brick Lane was first kicking off with galleries, mm. where it was like not just sort of a bit of a not a great area to be, and it was becoming... They had like Concrete Hermit Gallery... Brick Lane Gallery. There was like five galleries all on like Red Church Street and Brick Lane. And once a month they had, uh, they opened up all the galleries first Thursday of the month and it was like free drinks at all the galleries. But you just, because it became a thing, you'd go and meet people at all these places. Mm-hmm. you drink free beer and everyone's happy with that. And, um, and go and engage with people. And then if you had work in some of those shows, which I was doing at the time, that's when it was like it's a great talking point um like we did a show 
2007, I think it was, maybe 2008, um, where they opened up all the gallery spaces and venues. It was uh, YCN did it. Okay. YCN Open or something like that. And the the, the kind of original It's Nice That was, was getting involved with it as well. So um, we did a show for YCN at 93 Feet East and uh, 93 Feet East venue. And it was great. All of those kind of contacts that you make at those early shows are just beneficial throughout your career. But the guys that were there got to meet us and... So you came up together and you you keep that relationship going. Yeah. Also, when you first did your gallery show, how did you, you know, go about it? How did you set it up? Who was the person to talk to? Yeah. I mean, if, for someone who's listening and who wants to get a gallery show, yeah, yeah. how would they do it, basically? Well, it was... Um, so the 93 Feet East shows were through... I think it might have been through Alex at It's Nice That. Either him or some someone at YCN. And we just happened to email them. So I actually started Middle Boot with another guy. Um, and uh, and then we parted ways because uh, he wasn't that into it. Oh, okay. He kind of used it to get a job. He got a very good job. He got Adidas. Adidas oh. art director. So he was fine. <laughs> but I kind of saw something in it that, mm. that I wanted to pursue. And I wasn't really happy with working for someone else. Yeah. I wanted to do my own stuff and just see if it worked. So, but so at that point, it was both of us, and we'd we were were already creating artwork that we wanted to exhibit. So when that came about, this we, we realised that the show was happening at various galleries. We just did everything we could to to get in contact with all sorts of people, and and we managed to yeah convince YCN to to let us exhibit this this artwork that we've been creating, um, but. I think mainly the work that I've exhibited or stuff that I've sold in different galleries were were literally about... I mean, I remember when I was still living in, in Epsom, like going up to Brick Lane, like a rucksack full of zines and posters and stuff, and just walking around galleries and meeting the people that run the spaces. So like the Chris Knight, who, who used to run Concrete Hermit, which was a fantastic space, for for design for many years he just took a punt on like a bunch of my zines and some of my prints and paid me some money straight out of the till and was just like do you want this much or or whatever it was and it was like yeah it's it's fine you know it was just happy to have my work in that space Mm. so yeah I think it's it's again it's just just about being a face if that makes or or, or showing your face rather Mm. in in those sort of spaces and trying to get involved with people that are doing the same thing. So there's always going to be like another collective of, of artists that are just starting out mm. uh, that are needing good art to exhibit and support. Um, so when I started doing a few more shows, it was with uh, a collective called Inky Goodness, who were like more illustrative. Okay. Um, and they put on some great shows for years. Like I exhibited work in in Berlin with those guys like Manchester, Birmingham, London wow it's like being on a rock band and touring yeah. isn't it well I've, I've toured with, with quite a lot of rock bands so oh. yeah it's, it's very different from touring with rock bands I can guarantee you yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah it's uh, no if, funnily enough the photos came up from Berlin on Facebook you know that kind of like it's been I think it's been seven years since we did Berlin but it was uh, that was like part of the Pictoplasma exhibition okay uh, which is a great uh, kind of 
collaborative show. They have it's like a they have like a, um, a whole venue for talks. They have all sorts of illustrators, and then they have all sorts of venues all over Berlin, like Alexanderplatz in Berlin. Um, so yeah, I mean it was good. Yeah, all those things were good, really. I think they were all beneficial because it encouraged me to create more work without really having that much on at the time. Mm-hmm. Like I still had a day job. I still had stuff to do. So those projects were quite imperative to keeping me actually like creating new work and then meeting people because they had so many contacts at that point that were doing running different like magazines and books and so I got my work featured in more of those and, and, and so things kind of snowball I suppose. This second section kicks off with Gordon talking about how he entered the music scene. He then goes on to explain his process to designing album artwork for musicians and how imperative it is for designers and musicians alike to brand themselves properly. He also speaks on how impactful not getting recognition for your work can be and how taking the leap from one discipline to another isn't as easy as it seems. From creating album covers for the music bands that you did and so yeah. they took you on tour. Yeah, yeah. How was that? So you toured with a band whilst not being on a band, I guess? Many bands, <laughs> yeah, yeah, many bands. Um, yeah, well, I did all sorts. Really. Cause, so the thing is, because I started off working in, in music, my first sort of entry to music was doing prints and posters for gigs. So I used to sell them on the merch stand. And the deal was, it was quite good, actually, because it was like... So I would, uh, I don't know what that, oh, that's the camera. So I would um, use a process called indigo printing, which is basically like uh, similar to Giclée, but a lot cheaper to produce. So you can produce like 200 posters, prints, on really nice, thick, textured stock, A3, for like 30 quid. And you turn up to gigs and sell them. And most of the bands didn't even think to ask for a cut. So you do, like, I'd, I'd be working with, like... Side hustle there. Yeah, it was a good side hustle. It was, yeah. yeah. It was nice, because, I mean, my, my day job, I was in a shop at the time. So I was earning, like, not enough to move out of home. Yeah. But the extra money that I was getting from, from the prints was, like, supporting me to then afford to go to London and start meeting people and start yeah. doing all of those sort of things. Um, and also, the idea of working for like, I don't know what you guys are into, but like I was working with a lot of indie bands, so mm. like Deer Hunter and No Age and Yola Tango and people like that. And um, But a lot of the writers, a lot of uh, editors and writers for like Design Week and Creative Review and all those sort of editorials like that sort of music. So the idea of me going to them, hey, do you want some prints from this? band that I've just worked for Deer Who for God knows who it was um, they'd be like yeah sweet yeah and then they they, they start writing about you yeah um, so yeah you get the side hustle but then there's the little bit of promotion on the side uh, which really was beneficial um, so I used to do that yeah I used to t- sell merch on, on these stands and then yeah, eventually just made friends with some bands and you'd, you'd go on tour and either either sell merch or, or or do some driving or I've seen a lot as well recently um, you know going to concerts and gigs merch has become a huge thing um, which originally started with with rock and indie bands as well you know yeah. doing it back in the day how important do you think is for musicians now to have a good brand and design behind their vision of you know the album and everything else 
more important now than ever that a band has a, a an actual brand and uh, because i think it's really important people very much underestimate the idea of creating yourself a brand mm. and and that's that's essentially what you're doing you're you're becoming the purveyors of whatever your music is quality music and that needs representation of a brand and you're yeah. building that so the i always i think there's a lot of similarities to working on like a branding project mm. and then seeing that go live and then developing it i mean you've seen it a prime example is kanye west he did it perfectly yeah with um with the you know having a shoe with nike then going over to adidas and then creating a clothing line out of it yeah. And then Tyler the Creator's done the same with golf, um, you know, Drake's doing it. So it's pretty much every artist now has seen that opportunity of making extra money on the side. It's just like, well, why don't I just do my own thing? Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's very, like you've said it perfectly. It's, yeah. they, they become that brand themselves. They're, they're portraying what they are and then they can, well, I could sell myself on a t-shirt. Well, yeah, I was just watching that um, Dr. Dre documentary. The Defiant uh, Ones, I watched that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's a classic example of like, uh, in, in the last episode, he's talking about, he, he doesn't really put his name to trainers or, or clothing. And, and, and then Jimmy Irvine, the manager, came up and said, well, we'll do headphones. We'll do head- that's, yeah. it's, so it's your brand then being put onto this, which is then going to sell that product. And it was a hell of a lot of very good marketing and a lot of money that made it work. If it was just a new pair of headphones that they'd given to all of those players... And celebrities. And celebrities, they might not have really cared because they get lots of products for free. Mm. But because it's endorsed by and created by Dr. Dre, then you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's the seal of approval, right? Because when you, when you think of Dr. Dre, you think of beats, you think of producing. Yeah. So when you listen, when you're getting headphones... You're automatically thinking, well, if he's made these headphones, they must be great because he's a yeah, it's a trickle down himself. effect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So they're very clever with that, yeah. That yeah. Was... So no, yeah, there, there's a lot of links really to to kind of how you brand and and the importance of the brand side. So definitely, when I try to work with a new band, it, it's always about like trying to really kind of hammer home how important the artwork is because that's your advertising right there. Yeah. So that so that's what's going to be in the record stop shops. That's what's on Spotify. That's what people will know you for. So whether that's you know an amazingly well shot photo of yourself, and then people get to know the the face of the musician, or it's a piece of artwork, it needs to be something that represents the music. Yeah, I mean, two artists that stick out for me in that respect that have you know they've got their branding down or kind of recognizable traits that people can relate to or that recognize anywhere are one the gorillas which i think they do an amazing job, amazing job. yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're really good at it and tyler the creator as well previously mentioned he does really good stuff because when he it all came around with you know like odd future and like around 2010 yeah. and he did um he had certain little characters that he had and within his music he made you know like personas so um he had you know different kind of personalities and that was that's what kind of got me into him. He was like completely different and he had, you know, um, his brand was very kind of almost half half finished, but it looked it looked deliberate and it suited what he did. Um, so it, it, his first mark, I think it was just like a pink donut. 
Oh yeah, the old future thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, so everybody like you know, um, people were, were recognised that anyway. But it, and it was it was very Simpsons like, wasn't it? And it was one yeah. of the first kind of real because obviously now the Simpsons artwork craze has gone mental. There's yeah. some amazing stuff going. On. I keep seeing things and go, yeah. oh, that's quite good. We're at the uh, Kendrick Lamar gig, who's another guy who's branded himself amazingly. Amazing. And there's this dude who was wearing this like yin and yang, t- Lenny and Carl, yin and yang. <laughs> That's really fun. That is good. That is good. That's pretty neat. Um, But yeah, no, I think it's uh, yeah. Tyler the Creator's done it very, very well, and he's another one. I mean, uh, what what has he brought? Golf, golf, yeah. Which is which is his own which is own clothing line or lifestyle brand, really. Yeah, and then he's on Viceland. He's got a great show on Viceland, and yeah, putting yourself about. So. If you have a new brand, uh, sorry, a band approach you or, or any musician now, how have you been inspired to look at, you know, like talking about all these other guys who do this artwork? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you look at other artwork or do you look at something completely different to get inspired for their... Well... Uh, do you listen to their music or do they give you the album first? You get to hear it and... Music yeah, but I don't before. give a fuck about that. <laughs> I've been doing that for 10 fucking years with my website. <laughs> Jesus yeah, Christ, yeah, That's the, yeah. I ran the music website, to those who don't know, and yeah. I was getting promos, uh, yeah, back in like 2008. So that's nothing new to you now, it's just like, no. tell me what you want and I'll do it. Why would I care about yeah. listening to some guy's music and, uh, two weeks before they put it on Spotify? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> that's not fun. But um, no, I think like, uh, yeah, it, it's a t- the process is, yeah. You, you, and sometimes, by the way, they don't even send you the music. So sometimes, I mean, so that must be that must make it a lot harder to figure out, you know, yeah. what kind of, you know, what their whole personality is as a band. That must make it so difficult. Oh, very much so, yeah. Because yeah, you've got nothing to, especially if it's a new band, yeah, that you're working on their first LP, and you've got nothing to, to sort of put your hat on. Um, I mean, I remember I worked with this band uh, called Nimo, who have sort of had very varied success. Not really, yeah. Which is not a surprise though, because they were just all over the shop, and it was like major label deal, um, and again that, that what we negotiated was I think three single artwork album campaign, and uh, and it, the stuff that I had didn't get used in the end, uh, but I, I don't even know what they did in the end to be honest, but they were terrible because they wouldn't they wouldn't give me any music. So my process is pretty simple actually. It's like Right, if we're going to work together, I need to meet you guys and find out what your actual idea is, find out what the lyrics mean, just actually get to know what the album's all about. Yeah. Uh, and then see what your idea is and how we can bring that to life. But uh, working with some labels, they, they put some real red tape in that process. So, uh, I mean, they wouldn't let me meet the band. You know, and then they they blow up, they get recognition. The engineer, the producer, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah great job, blah, blah. But the artist who actually did the album work, who created their promo, did all the branding, they get you don't even know who it is. Half the time, like, like unless you, because no one buys CDs nowadays. Like even like I can't remember the last time I went to H and V because it's all on Spotify and Apple Music and it's downloadable. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have the credits of the because before when I used to buy CDs or whatever. I used to look at like. All oh, right, so who worked on this song, or blah, and then oh, who did the album artwork? It used to be all there. Now that doesn't hardly exist. So, how important do you think it is they should recognise the artist who actually was behind the album cover and everything else? Well, totally important. 
I mean, it's yeah, it's really important. Because the thing is, right, you don't work on a music project, an album project, to pay your rent because that is not going to happen very often. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you might you might do some major label stuff. I did like a Roger Daltrey cover recently, which okay. which yeah went some way to paying that. But um, it, it, it's kind of like you, you do it because if it blows up, then the hope is that you'll be recognised. So you look at Peter Saville with Joy Division, um, that made his career. You don't talk about Peter Saville de- designing the Deruti column album covers, right? Because no one's fucking heard of them. Have <laughs> yeah. you heard of them? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, Tom. For those of you listening on the podcast, that's Tom making the sound of it going over his head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot I was on podcast just then for a minute. Podcast mode. <laughs> but, but, just coming up here. Yeah, but so the reason that Peter Saville, and I'm sure he begged to differ, is so vastly known is because of that album cover doing so well. Uh, all over the world for the last 30 more or more years um, and, and same with all sorts of people same with like Jonathan Barnbrook with Bowie and and various design and, and, and Sagmeister with like he worked on the Rolling Stones big stuff but what all of those guys did very well is not only did obviously were they thankfully extremely reliant on the fact that the albums did hugely well they also were clever about how they sold themselves as well. So they made sure that they were known for doing They were the on the album with them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because they have much as credit as the sound guy who plugged the, I don't know, microphone. Who mastered the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need the credit you, and you need that experience. And that is, by the way, the same with, with everything. Um, so I, like, I've started judging, right? I've started doing DNA D and cans and stuff. And one, one of my main gripes last year with doing... This was Creative Circle, um, and the way that advertising agencies were representing people that worked on it was was quite bad, actually. So I I, I purposefully, because my like I, you know I've got a bit of a gripe about creatives as we are not getting fully recognised for the work that we put into projects anyway, yeah. and especially with big advertising work, there's twenty, thirty, forty people involved. But at the end of the day, it's it's your work that they're looking at, yeah. And it might even be your idea, and sometimes you don't get recognised for it, uh, especially as someone like myself. I'll go in and work for somewhere, do some consulting or whatever it is. When I was working on the judging last year, there was like a couple of projects for like that were advertising, like the Times Magazine and a few others. That it was like the whole campaign was based around this beautiful illustration, right? And when you looked at the credits for who they wanted to recognise. They weren't crediting the illustrator. It's ridiculous, though. That's... Yeah. Or they were like really beautifully like type-led projects that were up for whatever campaign, and they weren't recognising the designer that would have had to have spent weeks and weeks working on this project. Yeah. So uh, I marked them down really badly for all of that because I thought actually this is not. I completely disagree with the way. You guys are represented. So it might have been a beautiful bit of work. And I I always would always say in my comments, like, this is great. And the work's great. And I like the idea. But you're, you're representing the account manager on this. Mm. And fuck that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it, it, it's something that 
as as designers and and creatives, it's something that you yeah I need, I'm I'm striving to get more representation for. So transitioning from you know like one kind of creative discipline to another, mm. so you've gone from uh, kind of like a freelancer to a creative director and uh, various other roles. Um, is that an easy transition to make? No, no, it's not easy. <laughs> it is not easy. No, um, I mean I've I've been transitioning to what what I've wanted to do uh, my whole career, and I started out very much determined to be an illustrator. Mm. And that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do for bands, and that's that was it really. And then I did it, and I realised actually I don't quite like being an illustrator that much, and I don't quite like working with with just bands because I'll never be able to afford my rent. I don't think because even if you get paid by a few of them, the rest of them will fuck you over. Yeah, it's just like yeah. So I. And, and even the styles, I mean, actually, like, the, the first thing I did, the first style I did was, was collage. So if you look at some of my earlier work, it was all collage-based, because I actually, I can't draw very well. So when I wanted to be an illustrator, the way that I wanted to express myself, uh, I saw people like Kate Gibb and, uh, what was her name? Michelle Thompson, who are really good collage artists, and thought, okay, I, I can do that. And that's when things started to make sense for me in my head when I started creating work like that. But I remember having a, a conversation with a friend of mine and he was like, you're going to have to do more than that. Uh, and he was he was like very influential in my career. And, and I pretty much that was that night I went home and started thinking, well, what else can I do? And it, it, it rang true, really, because I was getting editorial work and music work but nothing else yeah so I wasn't going to get like an art direction job or a design job just on the basis of that I'd done a few covers for like Maxim magazine or whatever it was that I've worked on so I started to pick up on other things that I really enjoyed doing and then evolved that but um yeah I, I think it's nothing's easy but changing your style that was a that was a really big thing because especially sort of two three years into my career all of the work that I was getting was because of one style and one thing. And when I realised that that was so kind of tunnel vision and narrow-minded to just do that one thing, mm. trying to then develop a new style that would be a lot more sellable to ad agencies, design agencies and the general public, whilst trying to then get new clients in and convince them that I was doing that was, yeah, it was pretty yeah. tough. But then you just you just keep evolving. So I, I mean, strangely, so it was when I was working at Saatchi that I, I realised that I really enjoyed the the more of the design and creating ads and the conceptual stuff, and then the art direction behind it. Um, but then I, it was strange because I realised I'd actually done a lot of art direction before. So I've worked with other agencies like McCann and Gray and, and places like that where we actually commissioned photographers and illustrators and worked on shoots and I hadn't ever really thought that oh actually I'd, I've been doing this stuff for years yeah uh, and but I never really put a label on it or thought that that was this and certain parts of the career could be changed to benefit myself yeah. so th that part was easier but that's still every time that I make a change in my career and and try to sell myself as something new it takes a while it takes quite a long time to convince people because people know you as something they perceive you as something 
So it takes a long time to then get people to perceive you as something else, something that you want to be. But if you sell yourself in the right way, then it will eventually happen. Um, so right now, uh, my agency, Middleboop, is, is, I mean, I'm focusing on branding, advertising, and some music work as well. Um, but it, it, And it was weird because, you know, a year ago, people were saying, well, you do, you do advertising. And I'm like, well, actually, I want to do branding. So I've spent a long time promoting my, my work, my studio's work as, as branding so that now people are coming to me for that work. Yeah. So it, it, it is hard, but you have to be a bit clever about what you say in interviews and what you say and what you promote and how you promote yourself. Yeah. But I think it's very important to keep evolving and um, yeah. In this third section, Gordon discusses the role of designers today and whether they need to be multidisciplinary in order to survive and what's it like starting your own agency. He also speaks on the importance of collaboration between creatives and how the power of side projects can really make you stand out from the crowd. With that in mind, um, do, you need, do, you, do you think you need to be every kind of designer possible out there to survive? Yes and no. I think there are kind of two ways that you can go about it, right? The one side of things is to have a hugely distinctive style and just run with it. Mm. Um, something like, well, you look at Anthony Burrell, we were talking yeah, about earlier. Yeah. You look at him, he, he does the screen printed type and it blew up and, and that's what he does. He might do fucking websites, but... He doesn't ever talk about it. Yeah. I, I'm pretty certain that that's what he does. But yeah, and, and there are many people, like illustrators especially, who have one beautiful, elegant style and they're able to survive on that and do that. But that's like maybe 20% of us, really, in the creative world that just have one thing. The rest of us, 80%, maybe 70 whatever it is, need to need to be able to do everything uh, at a certain level and I think it's important to do that I mean I uh, certainly myself I'd, I'd be so bored if I was still doing collage 10 years in still doing the same magazine covers and and maybe a bit of an ad here and there it's it's a really really hard hard way of, of making money when you shut yourself down into one mm. sector um, so no, it, I think it's it's really good. I think I don't think you need necessarily to be to do everything, but I would say it's very beneficial to your career and to just your life to to put your own personal growth. So mm. have as many options in your career as you can yeah. put out there as possible. I suppose, and you, and you never know down the line. Like you said, you you found out you know you was doing art direction. But you didn't really put a label on it, so you, you you was doing it without even knowing that you was doing that. That's hundred um, percent right. So when you did discover that, you're like, okay, I could I could do this yeah. on my own. And so was was that the sense of feeling when you was at Saatchi and Saatchi? Was that the push that you needed to go out on your own adventure out and find yourself? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was I was def I was on my own before Saatchi, and I'm on my own again. Well, I'm not even on my own anymore because I work with other people. I've got freelancers. I get in all sorts. But uh, yeah, I, definitely that transition. I think I worked there and a few other places around that time for yeah a couple of years, two and a half years, and I loved it. I mean, I think I learned so much from from the team there because it's, it's some of the best creative talent that, that, that's going at the moment. 
so you, you, you're kind of like a sponge. I was a bit like a sponge there where you just kind of soak in all of this stuff and you're like, oh, that's, that's great. And, um, but yeah, it came a time where it, it felt that it was right to, to really focus on, on doing my own thing. And, um, and that was it. So I, I think it's, there are benefits of both. There are definitely, obviously, the benefits are quite obvious of working for someone as big as Saatchi because it's just a name that people know. And I learned that actually the first time when I was first doing stuff. And I remember going to the pub in like in Epsom where I used to live with my parents and people would be, you know, I'd be like, hey, I'm just working for like Future Islands and that. And people would be like, who are they? They're quite big now, but actually 10 years ago, no one fucking knew who they were. And it was only until I started working with the BBC when you go to the pub because people were like take it with a pinch of salt as to what I was doing because from out of our little bubble of design and advertising world no one really knows yeah. what this is the men in black like, I guess yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it was only until that when I was at the BBC people were like oh oh, that, what's that like and people were interested and I was yeah. like oh you're so people are so fickle Mm. yeah yeah, 100% but when you're trying to get a job and when you're trying to benefit your career working with those sort of people and and having those sort of names on your CV is is very beneficial and and you can do things you can really grow a career there Mm. some of my friends who've been there for four or five years and who are now creative directors there or 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 whatever their their title is they're, they're now in good positions of power and are putting out great ads but the the flip side to that is yeah you're you're doing it for someone else you might get some awards you might get some DNADs and and that's fantastic and but it'll always have Saatchi and Saatchi in front of it or or BBC or the actual company yeah. won't have your put on it so yeah. you talk about a lot about you know working with a lot of groups of people and even now where you're at the space you're at you you like to work with different designers mm. how important is it um, to collaborate especially very important so in fact what we were sort of talking about earlier on where you you can kind of do everything you say you do everything yeah Yeah. i mean we get roles in at the moment and jobs that i mean i don't have the capacity to do myself so i've got my pool of freelancers and talent who might be able to do it yeah like, like things like 3d animation but you know i can do those things but not to the quality of someone else that might be able to do it better so the idea of collaboration with those sort of people is is imperative really yeah um like i've got a uh, yeah i've got a great 3d artist who i work with and he's he's just starting out he's yeah he's like your age so he hasn't got the benefit of having loads of contacts and and good name clients and things so he can work with me and actually another friend of mine works with him and he gets some cool shit from us so he gets to do grow his portfolio and and, yeah. and grow his worth. So it, it's benefit. It's of benefit to him, and it's of benefit to me because I can offer, and my studio can offer something different. Collaboration is really important because it it can benefit two people in very different ways. Yeah, you can get a lot more from it. So I think yeah, it, it's a good tool to use. It's not always beneficial. I think you have to with a lot of these these projects you have to trust your gut and know that it will go to something mm. but generally it's yeah it's, it's a good tool to have when you are working who's your go-to person to show work or or to get an idea from or you know 
um, in terms of improving or whatever it is. I've got a few people really because I think it's I think it's really important to so if you yeah if you're creating a piece of work and it's just you that looked at it and then it goes out there and then like the man on the street has no idea what it is then it's not a failure it's it's your work but people need to get it right yeah yeah and um so yeah i think having people look at it is, is really important i think now i mean my my girlfriend looks at a lot of my work she's she's very critical yeah, yeah. um of of what i put out so she's great uh to to talk to about that sort of stuff but then on the design side i mean there's usually a few people who kind of work in the same field as me. Like my friend Radim, uh, who, who runs brand new, the studio brand new. We share work pretty pretty frequently. And he's helped me a lot in my career because he's now 40, I'm like 31. So he was, like a, he was already re- extremely established. So when I was sending in my first work, it, it was really, really important to get that feedback from someone who was extremely current in their work yeah. uh, and actually strange later, I later found out when we became friends that he thought my work was shit <laughs> <laughs> and it was and yeah, it was yeah, yeah, it was really bad work but um, <laughs> you, you get that kick up the arse and it's important so I think generally when you're when you're doing something I mean especially with like a branding project that I'm doing now uh, it will be I'll show someone like my, my partner or someone in my studio maybe so in my studio, we've got people that work on web and, and they write books and there's all sorts of different fields. So when you get someone in who's just totally not in your world at all, that's the best feedback you're going to get. Because if they get it, then it can go, it can run, it can go out there and people will get it. But if even it, like a designer is struggling to get the idea, then you're, you're fucked basically. <laughs> so I think it's great to send other designers your work because they'll appreciate the craft involved, but having someone else that's not in our world is is most important. Yeah, your posters that involve a lot of movie quotes, like uh, you've got the one "Be excellent to each other" and "Life finds a way." Um, that started as you know, kind of like almost like a side hustle slash side project, didn't it? It didn't. Yeah. It didn't have any particular kind of like end goal for you as such when you first started. But um, I just kind of want to highlight the importance of a side project and, you know, where it can take you. It can take you miles and, you know, it can really lead into something quite, you know, amazing. Well, that, those, those posters quite literally did take me miles because I, I had about five months in America because of those. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, no, the side project is brilliant. I think it's, it's something that I've always done something on the on the side, I suppose. And, but with those, it was it was great because it, it, basically it was my my friend uh, Timber Smiths, who's a great illustrator. He used to work for Little White Lies magazine, the film magazine. I have not heard of that. Oh, well, it's a good one. You should check it out. Um, and they had a little exhibition in their in their old street studio. For it was really cool. It was like VCR covers, okay. and you go down, and, and so we all created a VCR cover. And that's where the Bill and Ted one came from. Oh, right. uh, they'd be excellent to each other. Yeah, and it just got so, such a strong response from people because, and I forget, like when I used to do the the especially the the prints for bands, I forgot how important it was because you get that emotional response from the people that know the band, and and then you get the other side of people who appreciate the design, and it was the same. It's the same with film artwork. You you just get you just open the work up to a whole new 
market basically so when I released that piece of work it, it did really well and I, I think it's probably my most known piece of work maybe not now but it certainly was for a couple of years so I thought there was something in that and uh, yeah I just thought well, people started texting me idea oh, you should do this and this quote and that quote so I, I came up with an idea of it just being uh, inspirational quotes from retro films so there's there's a kind of tagline there yeah but it so it wouldn't just be like I'll be back or some contrived nonsense that everyone knows you'd have to dig a little deeper ones with a little bit more meaning if people yeah. know about it and really know about stuff. it kind of exactly that's right yeah so I did, I, yeah, I did those, and, and yeah, it did become it did become a lot more than I expected it really, because then I got offered the the New York show, so I went over. I kind of planned this trip. I wanted to get out of out of the UK for a while anyway, and that was like a great way of doing it, basically. Um, and then I got offered the LA show, which was I think it was like four months after the in between or three months in between the. The New York and the LA show. It's relatively close to each other. Yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. So I, I just planned this big trip. And I realised, this was really interesting. So when I first was hanging out at that Concrete Hermit gallery, yeah. I met this guy called Matt Moore, who runs MWM Graphics. And he does this mad shit with like vector artwork. And he had this show there at the time. He's from America. And he was like, yep, I'm going to spend a month in London. And then I've got a show in Paris. I'm going to go over to Paris and I'm staying in a cool hotel because I'm selling all this artwork. And I was like, that's what I want to do that. Mm, yeah. especially, especially when I was younger because I couldn't see my future at that point. I, I couldn't see what I'd become. So it was like, or what I'd end up doing. All I could see was, fuck, I don't want to be tied to an office for the next 50 years. Yeah. Right? I was like, I want to be like that guy. I want to travel with my work. And I'd totally forgotten that I'd said this and made this little pact to myself. And then when I was in LA, driving around, I just thought about it and was like, oh, fuck. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's brilliant. Although I didn't sell that much artwork. So, uh, yeah, I caned a lot of money. But I'd, I had a, a really good project just before that. Like, it's quite a big branding project. So that, that was kind of, when they paid me all the money, I was like, I'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean to bring it back to the point, uh, this yeah the side hustle can 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 really take you places. It, it just requires it requires a really good idea, and to be as we were talking about earlier, to be a bit like relentless with with your promotion. Yeah. So with those prints, I, I promoted the hell out of them, mm. and I sent them to all sorts of, and they, they got a lot of coverage in the press and all the places that you'd hope it would would be covered in. Uh, and that that then helped get the connections in in New York, and the guys in New York knew the guys in LA. In fact, LA was a, a, a three way show. It was me, Raid seventy one, and this guy called Carl Wilkinson. Um, and so we kind of did it as a, a, a three way thing. So they actually none of those guys turned up, but I, I went to the show and stayed out in in LA for like a month. Wow. So it. it yeah, they could be really career beneficial because yeah. I, you know I certainly became known as the guy that did those prints for quite a while, mm. and that that was that really helped things. Um, similar with the zines that that I used to do. Yeah, that was the first side hustle, I suppose, because it's again it's like we were saying earlier. It's it's having something tangible that 
that you can hold and interact with yeah is really is really important that people buy into that mm-hmm. it's just another level of interaction that the you know that the consumer can have with whatever you've made isn't it yeah exactly um and that's that's when i I parted ways with the the other guy in middle boot because he didn't want to put in like a hundred quid or whatever to put a nice cover on the on the zine and because our, our second our second zine we all printed it out at home like proper diy zine punching holes in your thumb with a bloody stapler and stuff uh it got it got put in a this little show in hoxton with like they were selling banksy originals so it was like queues around the block but our stall with the zines on and, and various other zines and bits were like the first the first um stall so, so all like, like thousands of people just like picking all these zines up and we sold we sold all of them that's great which was fantastic yeah i've got like one copy here somewhere and then so the th- I knew we were onto a good thing so the third one we did yeah did maybe 500 600 copies um and then sold them in a few galleries and things like that and I made I made, I broke even on it yeah for sure but what I got which is like I've shown you all the interviews mm-hmm. I got from it and the press that that really helped certainly in the early days yeah so I think definitely I think it's really important that that you do these sort of things because then I mean even if you're not looking to build a career yourself uh, on your own back going into an if you're if you're going for a design interview say I'm interviewing you uh, like I used to do at various agencies you'd be I'd want to see some of that shit I'd want it's like well cool okay you've got a tell me something about yourself a project that you've yeah yeah. Yeah, a project that you've done off your own back Rather than having been told, this to is exactly it. what this is for us as well. It's, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. You know, it's like we had a passion for it and we're doing it. And if someone sees this, they'll be like, "Oh, okay, cool." So they're not bullshitting. You know? Yeah, straight up. And again, it enables you to you know, like meet people like myself, like we're doing now. Exactly. Yeah. Which is what I did with the zine years ago, it was yeah, it got me to meet people like Sawdust. Who, who, in fact, what I did was commission artists to do a page in the zine. We would love to interview them, by the way. That would be yeah. great. It's all yeah. as well. Oh, I don't interview them. Uh, <laughs> I think that'd be quite a boring interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave that in there. We'll be interviewing next week. They'll be like, did you really say that? You can leave it. Yeah. <laughs> They're all right. They're good guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think it's... Uh, in fact, yeah, Jonathan from Sawdust ended up living like down the road from me. And I didn't know this until the day I moved out, I bumped into him on the street. And he was like, what are you doing? I'm just moving out. <laughs> Too late, buddy. See ya. But they were great. I mean, they were really, really, especially back then, because I was really just starting out and I didn't have anything. And the fact that they took the time out to create a piece of type, a really beautiful piece of type for the for a small zine, mm. was was fantastic uh, on there. So yeah, I've, I'll, I'll always be very thankful. In this last section, Gordon takes us back to his university days and drops some invaluable knowledge for the university students out there right now. I went to Southampton Solent University because I I looked at a few. I looked at like Bournemouth and Portsmouth, all along the south coast. Mm. Is that where you're from originally? No. So I grew up in the West Country in a small village in Wiltshire and then we moved to Epsom in Surrey uh, when I was like 12 or 13. So my parents are still down there, but uh, yeah. it's a nice area. 
Yes, all right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's boring. It's very, very boring. Yeah, not creative at all. Uh, no, yeah, it's weird. They've got this creative uh, uni there now, but it's oh. it's not a creative town really. But um, but yeah, it, it's a cool place. Um, so yeah, I went to to Southampton because a few of my mates were were also going there. You no, know, I had quite a tough uni time really with with my work because I hadn't really found what I wanted to do at that point, and. Uh, I just like the first year the first year was I was partying too much I think I hadn't quite yeah. I wasn't so focused on the work and in the second year I had this terrible house where like the other housemates were just fucking madheads like uh, yeah just horrible people so I didn't really want to be there that much yeah. so I'd spend a lot of time with friends and my girlfriend at the time I, I wouldn't really uh focus again on the work too much but I was quite disheartened because in the first year I had started to illustrate and I had started to collage things and I was getting really bad grades for doing it and I remember this article we had a Guardian we had to do a Guardian double page spread illustration and I was like this is this is me all over this is what I want to do and there had been that like some of my favourite illustrators at the time like David Folvari who, who used to have a weekly illustration in the guardian be like this is my chance i know the sort of style of work and i did i mean what is now a, a horrible piece of shit <laughs> but at the time i think i think it was okay and it, it wasn't going to win a dnad award or anything but it was it was a reasonable level and they hated it they they hated the work and uh they hated the way i was trying to experiment with different mediums at that time so the second year i really tried to please uh lecturers with, with doing what I thought they wanted. I got even worse grades. So by the third year, I just thought, oh, fuck it. I'll, I'll do what I want because yeah. it, was, it won't matter anyway. And then, so I started doing collage again and they, they came to me and said, oh, well, why, why didn't you do this stuff in the first place? This is really good. And you were like, I did. <laughs> I had it. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, uni's tough. And I think a lot of people have a very similar stories, but... Certainly for me, I just learned kind of what not to do. Yeah. yeah. And I learned that you just have to do it yourself, really. So mm, mm. so from everything that we've spoken about uh, in this podcast, this is going to be a difficult question. If you could whittle it down to three, three points that you could give to our listeners, three invaluable bits of uh, information or kind of advice to them, what would they be? For okay, for, for like students, yes. yeah. for students or like any anyone you know, anybody listening, really. anybody listening, really. Okay, three bits of advice would be learn learn your craft as well as as well as you can. So become become a practitioner, become a proper leader of that craft, because I think it, it it's so it's so easy for for someone who's is eighteen or nineteen and. They've, they've read a fucking book by you know Jonathan Palmbrook or or whatever designer it is uh, Vince Frost and think they know it, everything about design and they really really don't so uh, it, yeah I think it's you've just got to learn your craft before you can really really kind of push things forward I think persevere with with your ideas and don't don't listen don't listen to too much advice from other people i think just do stuff if you want to do some, something then then just do it and put it out there and see what other people think 
and I would say learn the business side of things. Learn the business side yeah. of things. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Any examples like copywriting and stuff like that? So yeah, contracting, copywriting, just knowing your your own value. Because I think if we at a young age can start to value ourselves better in this in this and respect our own craft and know our talent, then then there won't be unpaid internships anymore, and there won't be fifteen grand a year. Yeah. fucking junior design yeah. roles yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there will be because people will go actually I value myself at more than than this sort of work so I think it will just benefit everyone really and it will certainly benefit yourselves but yeah unfortunately you, you will learn the hard way with being fucked over by people yeah. because unless you're a businessman already that's just the way it is, but definitely. And from your experience, would you say you've learned a lot more that way? Oh, yeah. yeah. That, if, that if you knew everything before you go into the industry, it wouldn't have you know, mattered that much. But It's knowing, it's one thing to know everything, but then applying it you applying know, to it, real yeah. world life and situations mm-hmm. is another matter entirely, I believe. That's it, yeah. Because when you've got someone knocking on your door and they want you to work for them, it, it's, it's very, very easy to say yes. Mm-hmm. It's harder to say no, but it, it's probably... Depending on what the work is, it's, it's, it's you know you've got to say no sometimes, yeah. mm-hmm. and it, it, it's trusting your gut, I think, and and never work for free. That's what I've been told. Oh uh, yeah, I agree with that. I I, I don't like. I don't mean I don't mean like free as in oh like yeah I'll do everything for free. But if you're coming up, then definitely there could be chances where you have to work for free, which is fine. Yeah, but like you said, you have to value yourself. You have to put yourself out there. So you have to understand that. Well, listen, right? Yeah, I mean, it's from my my point earlier, actually, just about trusting your gut, and this is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. If someone wants you to work on a project for free, because if I'm not getting paid, then what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So, like we were talking about earlier with that HP project, that mm-hmm. I was, I mean, that was obviously paid, but there didn't seem to be any value in me spending my time doing that work for it to go nowhere. Yeah. So, with free bits of work it can often be especially when I was younger I got a lot you know you get a lot of these different websites and little start up fucking exhibitions or whatever it was it'd be like yeah we're going to feature your work and we're going to promote you and 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 you just know it's bullshit half of the time you just know because they're trying to do something and it might not work and it's a gamble of your time and some of these will pay off and there's definitely there's free bits of work that I've done in my career that have very much benefited myself but feel like I trusted my gut enough to know that that would come of something so yeah wonderful would you like to shout out any of your social media your website this is your 15 second well 10 second plug oh there we go we got the plug okay so yeah uh, if you want to see my work it's it's middleboop.com m-i-d-d-l-e-b-o-o-p and I'm on Instagram. In fact, if you just Google Middle Boop, you'll you'll find me. Instagram, Twitter, whatever that is. Yeah, uh, yeah that's all good. Cool. Wonderful. Awesome. Great. You have been listening to the third episode of the Undergrads podcast featuring Gordon Reed. If you like what you heard and want to hear more of our previous episodes, then head on over to our iTunes and SoundCloud pages. And if you want to stay in the loop about all things undergrads, then be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is undergrads, that is U-N-D-R-G-R-D-S. And that's all for now. Thanks for listening. Peace!